0: awesome God, worthy of our praise, we pray that um, you're honored by what we have done, that you'll be honored through these offerings, that you'll be honored as Brother Nathan brings your word, and that um, as we leave this
1: place, that it won't just be an event, but this is a lifestyle that we live every day of worship to you. Uh, May you be glorified in everything, we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.
0: going to ask for your forgiveness in advance. Uh, My voice isn't cooperating too well this morning. And so if I hit a wrong note, please forgive me. Choose to serve the Lord faithfully, but I cannot begin to imagine what He has in store. Once I was lost, I was. Held
1: If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Today's sermon is called Naked and Afraid. Now, not the dumb show that comes on the Discovery Channel, but the real account that happened about 6,000 years ago in the Garden of Eden uh, with Adam and Eve when, uh, when they uh, found themselves in this predicament. We've been talking about creation the last couple of weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, our sermon was Creation and God, and we talked about what we learn about God. Uh, through creation and the creation story. And then last week we said creation and us. What do we learn about ourselves through the creation story? And then now we're going to look at how mankind just messed all that up. And that's exactly what happened in Genesis 3 with the fall. Now, we've got a lot of information that we're going to work through today. And we're going to try to cover in the next half hour or so. So bear with me there and, uh, and get ready. If you're a note taker, and, and you might want to have your pencil sharpened. Because we've got a lot there. If you'll notice in your bulletin, there's a lot of blank space. But I promise you, if you keep all the notes today, you're probably going to fill up a lot of that space. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a setup. We're going to kind of set this whole idea up. And then we're going to look at a bunch of scripture in chapter 3. And then we're going to have a bunch of application. So that's just a bunch. All right. See all ready? All right. The next slide is a tree. And you got a tree in your bulletin. Um, and there's four questions there. Some of you, if you're in my Sunday school class, you've been through all this before. And some of you have probably seen this. But when we read the creation account, there's four key elements that we learn right off the bat about God and about ourselves. And it's like a tree. The Bible tells us that as Christian believers, we are called to bear fruit, right? It's always, uh, God always compares us to uh, to uh, fruit-bearing plants. There's so many verses in the Bible where God compares Trees and fruit and all that to our lives and our works and things as such. And we are called as Christians to be fruit bearers. This is our works. This is what we do. But unfortunately, I think sometimes we miss that our doing, that what we do as Christian believers, is supposed to come from our being. And instead, oftentimes we get that backwards and we define our being by our doing. When two men meet each other for the first time, what's the question? They usually introduce themselves. Hi, my name's Bill. Hi, my name's Joe. And then the next question is, what do you do? Because we find so much identity in that. And really that's not how it's supposed to be. That our identity is supposed to come from who we are and specifically who we are in God and not necessarily what we do. And so as Christian believers, when we understand that our identity in Christ is what determines our doing, as opposed to our doing, determining our identity in Christ, then we'll have it right. But we get that backwards. In other words, this is what it is. This is how it's supposed to work in God's economy. God has established who we are. God has done the things to redeem us. God has done the things to put us in right standing with him. And that's what he has done, and that's who he is. And as a result of that, we respond, and we do, and we be, because of what God has done. That's what worship is. But religion comes along and says, no, 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 you do, 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 and what you do will determine your being. And that's where the false gospel of works comes in. You know, if you do this and you do that, then somehow you'll find favor with God. And it twists it backwards, and it says that it is our doing that determines our being and not our being that determines our doing. We get that backwards. So we're going to go from the bottom up, not the top down. Just like a tree, that's our life. That's us. And down at the root level... We have to ask ourselves the question, who is God? Now, here's the thing. When we as Christians, when our fruit isn't right, when we're not doing right, usually the, pr- let's say that, let me, let me back up a little bit. Let's say that you go out in your yard and you plant a tree, a fruit tree. What's a good, tasty fruit? A peach. Who said a peach? Mm, peaches are good. I mean, if you like peaches. I'm not much of a peach fan, but I'll go with peaches. Let's say you go out in your yard and you, you plant a peach, right? You go, to the, you go to the store, you go to the co-op, you buy you some seeds, you plant a tree, a peach tree, and that thing grows, gets to a fruit-bearing age. And what's a yucky fruit? Somebody give me a yucky fruit. Did you say bananas? Be gone. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Bananas are delicious. Persimmons. Ugh. Persimmons. Persimmons. Okay, so let's say you go out and you plant your peach tree, right? and it grows up, and it bears fruit, and you walk out there one day, and your peach tree has persimmons all over it. Let me ask you a question. Was that thing ever really a peach tree, if it's covered in persimmons? No. The prob- so if you pick all the persimmons off of them, and you throw them over the back fence, and then you shake your finger at that tree, and you say, you bear the wrong fruit. It's time to bear the right fruit. Don't bear persimmons. Bear peaches. Is that persimmon tree going to change its nature and bear per- peaches? No, right? But yet we do that so many times in our own lives, right? We, we see maybe fruits that aren't right, and whether it's raising our kids or discipling each other, and we wave our finger and say, change your behavior, change your behavior. But the problem is, is we can't change our fruit if we're not right down at the root. And what we do really does come from what we believe. And when we don't when we don't do right in life, when somebody has a sin problem or they keep falling into the wrong things, the issue is not really with their behavior, it's really that somewhere in their life they're believing something wrong. There's something they're believing wrong. And so we've got to quit as, as Christians, as a church, we've got to quit getting out of this behavior modification mode, and we've got to realize that right fruit is going to come from right belief. That when we truly believe right, and I mean we truly grab onto who God is and what he's done, it's going to change everything. So at the root level, as we've gone through the creation story in the last couple of weeks, question one, who is God? We answered that. Genesis 1 told us that God is the creator of all things. He spoke everything into existence. So he is the creator, and he is preeminent, which means he has ultimate authority. He has ultimate power. He is the top of the food chain the buck stops here he is the preeminent creator over all of mankind so then we ask ourselves the second question well what has he done well when we read genesis chapter one he he spoke everything into existence he created all of the universe including me and you and mankind that God took this blank canvas and he spoke the heavens and the stars and the earth and the water and the the land and the vegetation and the fish and the birds and the animals and then people all into existence. He's created all. He is the creator and he created. And not only did he create, but he kept power, reign, supremacy, authority over his creation. So the next question, that's what we covered in week one. God and creation. And then last week we talked about creation and us. And we asked the question, well then who am I in light of this? Well I am the one that has been created by God. And not only have I been created by God, but I am created in His image. I bear the imago Dei. I am an image bearer of God. And all of mankind, we are the image bearers of God that is how God has created each and every one of us I am created in him and so what is it that I do well then I if I'm created in him then let's go back to Genesis 1 mankind was called to do what he does which specifically in Genesis 1 was what did God do he created and he reigned right he reigned in supremacy And he told Adam and Eve, he said, hey, be fruitful and multiply, right? Create. And he said, I want you to have dominion over the garden, dominion over the birds and the fish and the animals. He said, I want you to reign. So we are called to co-create or to create as God did, and we are called to reign and have dominion over the creation. That's what God, that was his perfect setup. And so on the tree at the root level, the question is, who is God? And at the trunk level, it's what we, he does, it's what he's done that gives us who we are. And then at the leaf-bearing level, how do you identify a tree? You look at its leaves, right? Who am I? And then the fruit we bear, what do I do? It all comes from the root of who is God and what has he done. Everybody tracking with me? I'm kind of moving fast because I've got a lot to cover today. So this is where we found ourselves in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Simple stuff. Who is God? creator, preeminent. What has he done? He has created all and he rules over all. So who am I? Mankind is the one who is created in God's image. They bear the image, the stamp of God. And what does man do? Well, he called them to be fruitful, multiply, and to have dominion over the earth. Now the fall comes in Genesis 3. And everything changes. Look at Genesis 3 starting in verse 1. Let's all read these verses together and by the way we're going to read about 20 something verses here we're going to walk through this narrative collectively it says the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made and one day he asked the woman and by the way we know this serpent is wasn't just any snake but this serpent carried uh, a life form a demon if you will in it and who was that demon that was in the serpent Satan the devil Lucifer one day he asked the woman, he said, Did God really say that you can't eat from any of the trees of the garden? That's the question he asked. Now, let me ask a question. Did God really say that? Yes, he did. He sure did. He, he did tell, tell them, uh, um, well, let me rephrase that. God didn't say they couldn't eat from any tree. But he did say that there was a specific tree. So Satan asked this question. Verse 2, Eve answers and says, of course we can eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Was this true? Absolutely it was true. She was repeating what God had told her. Then Satan in verse 4, the serpent, he says, you won't die Is that true? No. That's a lie. He told her he said you won't like What what does what does Satan do? Every time Satan shows up on the scene, he does two things. He lies and he misrepresents God. He lies and he misrepresents God. And in this this case is no different. The very first time that Satan shows up on the scene in the biblical narrative, he does what he's best at. He lies, and he misrepresents God. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. He says, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, this right here might be his biggest lie. Because remember what we talked about last week when God created Adam and Eve? He said, I created them in our image or likeness, in my image. Image and our image, we created them. Both male and female, we created them. So, so here's the thing. Here's Satan telling them, no, if you eat that fruit, you'll be like God. But guess what? God had already told them. God had already established all the way back in Genesis 1 that they were already like him. They were already like him. They were already the image bearers of God. God had already given to mankind all of the perfection and all of the likeness that he desired for them to have. So here's Satan over here once again misrepresenting God saying, well, if you eat of the fruit, you'll be like God. Now, what's Satan doing? He's taking what we just talked about a minute ago and he's flipping it upside down. Remember, who is God and what has he done? Who am I and what do I do? Our doing, our fruit bearing comes from our belief. And when we believe that we are made in the image of God, then our fruit will come from that. What Satan does, and he comes along, and he does exactly what religion tries to do to us, exactly what the Pharisees were trying to do with Jesus in the New Testament, and he says, no, 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 it's not about your believing that affects your doing. He says, no, if you do something different, it'll change who you are, that your identity doesn't come from who God says you are, your identity comes from your doing. God had already said, this is your identity, you are made in my image, And then Satan comes along and he goes, no, 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 no. Do something different and you can become like God. That's the gospel of works. That's the false gospel. If you do enough, if you work hard enough, that somehow you'll find favor with God. And that's Satan's lie. That's what he's always been trying to preach. And it's just simply not true. It's a lie and it misrepresents God. And so Satan comes along and he says, Man, if you eat that, your eyes will be open, and you'll, you'll be like God, and you'll know both good and evil. Well, he was kind of half-true. Satan likes half-trues, because they would surely know and experience evil like they had never experienced before. Verse 6, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. She said, hey, that, that fruit looks delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. By the way, the question is, where was Adam when she was being tempted? That, that with her, that's right there, who was with her, in the Hebrew, that term was with her, literally translates elbow to elbow. Adam was standing right there next to her and allowed her to be tempted. God had told Adam that his job was sub, to subdue the garden. And that word subdue, when he was told that, really meant to be the protector or the security force over the garden. It was Adam's job to protect the garden and to see to it that evil didn't enter. And you know what Adam did? He shirked his responsibility. He allowed his wife to sin first. He stood back and said, I'm going to see what this does to her, and then I'll decide if I want to do it or not. He allowed his wife to fall into sin, and then... He followed her in it. So Adam eats the fruit. She eats the fruit. Satan deceives them. That's what he does. He lies. They believe the lie. And everything's about to change because they eat the fruit. Verse 7. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Shame at their nakedness. In a moment, they went from perfection They went from living out the truth of who God is and what he's done and that belief carrying them into their identity and their doing. They went from that to naked and afraid. Naked and afraid. They saw their their nakedness. They felt fear. They felt through the form of shame. And everything changed in that moment. Verse 8. It says, When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing the man and his wife, they heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid. See, this is when we allow our fruit, when we allow our doing to drive our identity, we'll hide from God. You know why? Because when you try to depend on your goodness and your works for your identity in Christ, you're going to find that your works will never measure up. You may be able to put on a good show and you may be able to put on a good mask. But at the end of the day, when you stand before God and you look in the mirror, you're going to realize how much brokenness, how much sin, how much temptation, how much just ugliness exists in your life. And you're going to want to hide from God in the light of that truth. And this is what they do. The Bible says that they hid from God, which is dumb. Hiding from God is like, you know, a little kid that covers their hands like this and thinks they've disappeared. So they hide from God among the trees. And then the Lord God calls to the man and says, where are you? Remember when you, was, when you had a little, maybe parents when your kid's little and they play hide and seek, you can see them under the covers and you go, where are you at? But you know where they are. That's what God was doing here. And he replied, Adam, he said, I heard, or God, he said, or Adam said to God, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked, naked and afraid. And then God asks this question in verse 11. He says, who told you that you were naked? That's how God responds. Is when we start believing lies and we turn back to God, God's Spirit will smack you in the face and go, who told you that mess? You ever had your kid come home and say something just completely ridiculous? And you look at him and go, "Who? who told you that? This is what God was doing with his children. He said, who, who told you that lie? Who lied to you? Who told you that you were naked? And then God knowing, right? It's like when, you, when your kids, when you know what they did, but you still want to hear them say it, did you eat from that tree? God already knew they had eaten from that tree. Hey, did you eat from that tree, the one you know that I told you not to eat from? And Adam, like any good man, right? He says, verse 12, it was that woman you gave me. It was, it was her fault, God. It wasn't me, it was her. This was on her. This is her fault. She, she did this. I'm blaming it on her. This is the woman you gave me. She did it. And then the Lord turns to her and goes, uh, Eve, what have you done? And she says, the snake. is the snake's fault because that's what we do we believe the lies and then we look we live in a culture of excuse making our sin and our brokenness is always somebody else's fault oh i i I, you know i I was raised this way i had this was my background or this is this is baggage from a long time we always want to like trace it back to some excuse listen Until you are willing to take responsibility for your own sin, you will never overcome your sin. I mean, that is a fact. It's not your mama's fault. It's not your daddy's fault. It's not your school's fault. It's not your neighborhood's fault. It's not culture's fault. It's on you, man. It's on you. And you can point fingers all day long, but at the end of the day, Adam ate the fruit. Eve ate the fruit. You have to take responsibility for your own fruits. In your own doing and when it's messed up you got to back up and you got to say where's my belief wrong and you got to fix it at the root level so that you can bear the fruit that God wants you to bear so he he says you know it's her fault and she says no, no 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 it was the snake's fault and then look at verse 14 then God said to the serpent because you have done this you're cursed more than all the animals domestic and wild you will crawl on your belly you say well God took the legs off the serpent maybe he took the wings off the serpent We'll talk about that another time, but I can make a case for it. Because you have done this, you're cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly. You will grovel in the dust as long as you live. I will cause hostility between you and the woman. Anybody here not like snakes? That's biblical. Best way to identify a snake, whether or not it's poisonous, is to kill it. <laughs> and then to look and see, oh, well, that's not a, that's a safe snake. A little piece of good preaching for you. He says, I'm going to cause hostility between your offspring and her offspring. It is just innate in man that we don't like snakes very much. And he says, he will, the offspring, he will sh- strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is actually prophecy of what Jesus would do, which we're eventually going to cover. Then he goes on. I want to read. We're going to kind of run through these all the way down to verse twenty-one, so I can apply this pretty quick. Then he said to the woman, "I'm going to sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth." We know, uh, ladies, y'all tell me about. It, I don't know anything about it, but sounds pretty painful. Uh, You'll desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. That's what the Bible says. Just, just appealing to the word on that one. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree. That's what the Bible says. Whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. And all your life you will struggle to scratch out a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. Verse 19 says, by the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat. That's work. Work is a curse. I had a friend one time that talked about welfare. He said, it's just people trying to escape the curse. Love that line. He says, until you return to the ground from which you were made, you were made from dust, and to the dust you will return. Of course, we know that death entered into mankind because of the fall, and he speaks of that. And then verse 20, then the man Adam named his wife Eve. By the way, up to this point, she was not called Eve. She was woman. Woman means from man. And now her name is changed by Adam to Eve, which means mother of all living. Is what she became through the pain of birth. She would become the mother of all who live. And verse 21 says, and this is a powerful one, and the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Um, death had never entered the garden. The garden had not seen any death up to this point. The first death that existed in the garden was a sacrifice. An animal was killed so that Adam and Eve's shame could be covered. And we know that Jesus Christ is the lamb who was slain so that our shame, our sin, can be covered by his blood. And so the picture that exists there is phenomenal of the gospel, which takes us back to the question, who is God? He is the lover of mankind who loves us so deeply that he's willing to sacrifice whatever it takes so that we may be redeemed. And what has he done? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross and shed his blood for the remission of the sins of mankind. So who am I? I'm the one. I'm the object that he died for. I'm the one that he made a sacrifice that he put to death, the lamb, his son Jesus. He put him to death on a cross for me. That's who I am. So what do I do? I live in the light of the gospel of salvation that Jesus has brought to mankind. Now, how are you going to apply that, Brother Nathan? Well, we got, if you're taking notes, get your pencils ready because here we go. All right? Here's our application. Next slide. God has a design. God has a design. It's His plan. We're all called to live in it, but what do we know? We don't always live according to it, do, do we? And when we, as people, when we depart from God's design, what is it called? My Sunday school class? It's sin. Any departure, next slide, a departure from God's design is sin. Any time... In our life, that is what it is. You say, well, the word sin comes from a word armatia, which literally means to miss the mark. What mark? The mark or the target or the circle that is God's design. When we fail to live up to God's design, whether we do it on purpose, sins of commission, or we do it accidentally, sins of omission, it doesn't matter. When we miss out on God's design, that is sin. And any sin will bring some level of brokenness to your life. Next slide. Brokenness. And really, what brokenness is when we find ourselves broken, when we find brokenness in our life, it's the result of us departing God's design, departing God's plan, and finding ourselves in a place where the consequences of living a life apart from God's design are realized. That's what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. Their brokenness was the result of them departing from God's plan and God's design. They sinned and they found themselves in brokenness. Now, The problem with brokenness is we all want to escape brokenness. Nobody wants to exist in brokenness. Nobody wants to stay there. So when we find ourselves in brokenness, whether we know what to do or not, we all begin to to try to find our own ways to get out of brokenness. This next slide, Jessica, you see those squiggly lines? That's us trying to get out of brokenness. And it's always an indirect and winding road when we try to fix brokenness on our own. How do we do that? A lot of ways. Some people, they find a hole in emptiness in their life and they think that it'll be fulfilled if they just make more money. If I just make more money, I can heal my brokenness. Or if I just have more power or status or fame or name, I can break out of my brokenness. But guess what? It always curls right back to brokenness. It leaves us empty and it's a road that leads to nowhere. For others, it's substances. They find themselves in brokenness and they just want to numb the pain. So they turn to things, they turn to alcohol, they turn to drugs, they turn to uh, food, pornography. There are so many things, so many addictions that we turn to. And really all addiction is, is a way we nurse the wound. A way that we try to escape our own brokenness. It could be, hang on, I did not checked my Facebook in a little while. Oh, i got some likes. Makes that serotonin go. We just, it doesn't matter. We constantly are finding ways to nurse the wound. And for some of us, that addiction might even be checking in with the world on our phones. It's so many things that we try to fix our brokenness with, that we turn to. But it always leaves us empty. The only way that we're going to escape our brokenness, next slide, is if we repent. And repent means to turn. We have to turn from our brokenness. We have to turn from the sin that God us into our brokenness, and we have, to, we have to turn our back on it. The Bible word repent means to change direction or to turn. It means a change of mind, which is followed by a change of action. We have to turn. We have to repent. And the question is, what are we turning from and what are we turning to? When we turn for our brokenness, there's only one place to turn. It's not to works, it's not to doing, it's back to belief in our identity. We turn to Jesus. Next slide. We turn back to the gospel. You know, the gospel's not just about getting us saved. It's about keeping us saved. I mean, don't get me wrong, you you can't lose your salvation. But Paul also said that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? That we are to come to a full knowledge of it. The gospel, we compartmentalize it to our justification. And we say, oh, Jesus died for my sins so that I can be saved. But did you know the gospel also has a place in your work life? The gospel has a place in how you interact with people, how you raise your kids, how you interact in your marriage how you live on a daily basis, how you deal with temptation, how you wake up and walk and go to bed and sleep and eat and everything. The gospel speaks to all of it. And when we compartmentalize the gospel to only one area of our life, only our salvation, only our justification, what we do is set that over here, and then we start trying to live the rest of our life according to the lies that Satan tells us. So our professional lives, our family lives, our social lives, We start believing in this doing. We think that the doing will make those things whole and we start finding brokenness and marriages fall apart and life is difficult and raising kids is hard and we don't get along with our co-workers and we don't understand that the gospel has a place in those areas too. That anywhere there's brokenness in our life, the answer is always the gospel. It's the truth, it's the grace, it's who Jesus is, it's living according to what he's done, it's understanding who I am in Christ, who is God, what has he done, Who am I? That's what I do. We turn back through the gospel. And we help find understanding in all things through that truth. And then, once the gospel has impacted that brokenness in our life, next slide, then we grow. What is Christian growth? It's through the gospel, through the truth of the gospel at work in my life, moving from brokenness through the gospel back to God's design. That's what Christian growth is. It's not, look, knowing the Word of God is important. But I would much rather have somebody that can live the Word of God than can quote the Word of God. I mean, knowing the Word of God is important, but but how many more verses you can verbally memorize, that's not spiritual growth. Because let me tell you something, Satan can spit any verse you want to hear at you, and he's so far from godly. There are a lot of false teachers out there to spit Bible verses at you all day long. Now, growing is moving back towards God's design in every aspect of our life. And why do we do that? Last slide, so that we can go. So that as people who have been impacted by the gospel, have grown in our own lives back towards God's design, so that we can go to those that are in brokenness. We can tell them the story of God. We can share with them the gospel of Jesus and how it is the way, it is the answer that will bring them out of their brokenness. That will give them the answer that they're looking for when the other things just fall short. And how they can find a path back to God's design as well. Hey, that's the story of the fall. I'm going to ask our musicians to come and we're going to have an invitation. That's the fall. Mankind got lied to, and they believed the lie. And Satan told them, no, 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 no. Even though God said you're made in his image, that you are like him, all this stuff, Satan said, no, you know what? You're not really like him. If you'll go over here and do some different stuff, then you'll become like him. He lied to them. They fell for it, and they found themselves in brokenness. But <laughs> man, thanks, God, that you jumped into the situation and rescued Adam and Eve, and rescued all of mankind because you had a plan from the start and that this death and this sin and this curse would be swallowed up in the victory of the cross. So if you're here today and you find yourself somewhere in this, maybe you're in brokenness and you're trying to find a way out, maybe you're, you know, trying to answer some questions, you're being tempted by sin, you're being pulled away from God's design, that in this whole cycle you can point to where you are. I want you to know that the answer and the remedy really simple if you're here today and you're lost and you've never been saved that's the answer you're broken because of your sin and if you will turn to jesus and put your faith in jesus and jesus alone then god will put you in proper standing you will be placed within god's design back to his perfection in his eyes because you have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb because it's only through jesus that we find remedy for our brokenness only through Jesus the lamb that was slain that Adam and Eve's curse was reversed. So today as the message has been preached and it has touched your heart, if God is calling you to make a decision, a next step, if there's something you need to do, I call you to it. May God move in this place as we sing. Let's stand together. Jesus paid it all.
0: I hear the Savior sing,
1: nice
0: if God's speaking to your heart,